This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Okay, welcome to Reinvention Radio. No, I am not Steve Olsher. I'm Mary Goulet. And Richard Ote and Steve Olsher are both out, but we have guests in the house. Kelly Pelker, who's usually holding down headquarters, is in town, sunny San Diego with us. And you're the badass assistant for Steve Olsher. (laughs) After the other night, I'm a bad axe. (laughs) We went axe throwing. That's right. I heard about that. We'll get to know a little bit more about that in a minute. But I do want to welcome Duff Gardner. You're going to be our guest with us today. I'm excited to be here, Mary. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, give me, give us a little of the bad axe thing. How do you, what is it? What is it? It's just throwing an axe at a target. And hoping that you hit it and it stays in the board. <laughs> and it doesn't bounce back and knock you unconscious. There was a little bit of that going on. Well, not the unconscious part. No broken or no sliced off toes or anything. But, uh, yeah, it was fun. Had a, little, had a little contest. or Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what it's all about. Just throw an axe and try and hit Just throw an the axe target. and try and hit the target. It's a lot harder than you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I did much better throwing two at once. And I got both of them to stick than throwing one at a time but it was fun yeah i was on an opposite team i think the hockey player in me came out (laughs) (laughs) it was a very competitive match i didn't like not at each other but at the bullseye really you get that right (laughs) yeah (laughs) i can only imagine what did you like better that or the escape room oh i don't know that's a toss-up because they're two Two different things. I, I like the escape room because my team won that. <laughs> we won't talk about who won the other night. <laughs> okay. Duff jumped ship. He wasn't on my team this time. Okay. Or so JP. You guys are both in um, from like the new, explain it, the new media summit and the icon makers. Yeah, we're get in together and doing the, the uh, two day intensive for our icon makers in person. So we sit down and, and did a lot of mindset work um, mm-hmm. the first day and then dove into some sales conversations and getting everybody straight with their messaging and clarity around who they are and, and their business and branding. and Very nice. Yeah. And what do you got Great coming group. up? What do we, oh, we have the Launch Your Podcast coming up on Friday and Saturday. We're going to be launching nine new podcasts. Nice. Yeah. I'd love to be a fly on the wall of that one. <laughs> Well, come on and see us. Yeah. Okay, so Duff, welcome. You're the guest on Reinvention Radio. What are we going to talk about with you? Oh, man. Um, well, we've covered the axe part, so I guess we've got to move on to the next topic, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I'm excited to be here because um, uh, there's a bunch of things going on in my world. Uh, we've just released today, actually, something called the Impact Scorecard, uh, off of my website, so it's a performance scorecard for people who are in the transformation industry. It's kind yeah. of a quick and dirty way to look at some key indicators to how they might be doing in their business. So would this be uh, therapists or healing services? What when you say transformation business? Oh, okay, sure, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, you kind of nailed it a little bit, but you know, um, there's this thing happening right now where so many people are starting service-based businesses, and so what they actually get called and what they do is kind of blurring and changing and shifting. There's the word influencer as well, but um, 
there's a statistic out right now that over half of the workforce will be self-employed freelancers, folks in the next 10 years. I totally see that coming. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so it's pretty significant. So a good chunk of those people are super interested in making an impact with others. And so that manifests as a variety of services. Um, So the way I actually think about it is like a platform. So it's like an impact-driven platform that people are creating. Um, In fact, that's one of the things I teach is how to go from sort of thinking about being a practitioner where, you know, you're serving people one-to-one to to thinking of yourself as more of a a media brand almost and and all the steps to get to that place. So I was a trained massage therapist. Yeah. Holistic health practitioner. Nice. And in the day, and I don't know how much it's changed, Uh we didn't... So I'm dating myself, but this was in the 90s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, we had no social media. Right. And the average salary, if you, you know, making it up as you go, uh, 12 grand, no, it was $20,000 a therapist would make in a year. Right. So I've always seen a tremendous need for even just those basic modalities, chiropractor, massage therapist, esthetician, um, Nails. Nails probably yeah. make the most people who do nails, I would think, out yeah. of those. Nails are good. And chiropractors, yeah. hairstylists. I mean, you're giving your, you're trading your time and you're locked into that. So nowadays with social media, with all these other ways of reaching broader spectrum and turning it into ancillary products. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. But I really am intrigued about your impact scorecard because back I can't even compare because there was no social media. Um, Even now. Right. Sometimes the healing hearts mentality of the people who are the practitioners, they kind of leave their business brain in the back seat of the car when they're on their way to work. Right. right? Yep. Absolutely. So, having an impact scorecard, what metrics are you having them take a notice of? Right. That's a great question. Um, so, this scorecard is designed around more of the soft indicators. Okay. And so, um, where it got created was uh, like I come from the startup world. That was where I cut my teeth. Um, I try to bring that uh, ethos, I guess, the mm-hmm. st- what I call startup thinking, into the transformation world. Uh, so for people like we're talking about and uh, coaches, healers, um, self-service-based uh, providers. So what happens is, you're right, they park, well, they, a lot of them struggle with sort of what I call standing in their value. They, um, you know, they don't know how to, and that manifests as like, uh, you know, I don't charge what I'm worth. I don't, I have struggle with selling. Um, I don't know how to make a good offer. I don't even know what an offer is, these kinds of questions. So the scorecard uh, picks up on sort of these four key areas that if you're evaluating a startup, uh, you look at. So broadly speaking, they are like, what kind of traction do you have in the marketplace? Uh, What kind of leverage points do you have in the marketplace? Uh, What are some indicators of creativity as the way that you kind of are sort of nimble in terms of the things that you're doing? Uh, the fourth one is execution, like how you're executing on your plans. Mm-hmm. And the last one is resolve. Some people might think of that as commitment. And so what it does is it kind of looks at those five key areas uh, and as a way of giving people a bit of a sense of where they could apply focus going forward. Okay. So just go to value. Yeah. That's huge. 
for sure. Because we bring ourself to our work. Yes. Right? Yeah. We bring our insecurities, our empathy, sympathy, um, all these things. And we don't know what they left at home. Maybe they had an argument with someone. So their value can be, I think, giving them maybe a template how they would identify the key words of their value statement. Yeah. Because they're going to forget it most mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, we do. I do. You know, what's my mission? What's, you know, my vision? And what's right. my value? Especially as an entrepreneur. Right. Oh, boy, I better just keep my prices low, but keep getting business right. and wearing myself ragged. Right. Yeah. Because there are a lot of them are hands on. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what I th the way I think of this question of value is um, in order for you to make an impact with your business, uh, you need to have a good offer. And in order to have a good offer, you need to understand how to uh, stand in your value. And so the best way to stand in your value is to have a good offer. So when I was in the startup world, there was like uh, a bunch of steps that you learn how to, how to uh, what you have to communicate to get an investor interested okay. in, in your project. Um, it's really important you hit on those points. Sometimes you have very little time. And one of the points is, um, it's called value proposition. Okay. And so what you learn in the startup world is you learn how to uh, communicate that value to investors so you become investable to them. And so it's, a, it's like a key thing that's missing in this transformation world that we're talking about is like, how do you express that? And so the mistake that most people make is they leave this idea of the offer to the very end of all the stuff they're creating, especially when they're trying to go online, right? Who, who said start with the offer? Uh, hmm, who well, is I know what. Like, Somebody I want that sits in this seat. I'm going to put in a claim to that. Like, it's it's on the it's on the fence who started that one, but it's it's like uh, it's an important thing, and so um, you know what it also does. It yeah. removes the emotion. Yeah. Like if I'm going to approach a value proposition or like, okay, yeah, this yeah. is my value. I'm going to add a lot of soft adjectives. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're saying, Mary, go to the offer first, that makes me go oh, this is going to be something I'm going to put together to sell to so-and-so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I want to back up one second, because when you're saying sure. transformational, I did cover some of the different sure. modalities that people are in, but can you give me an example of someone, maybe more of a yeah. concrete example so that we can get our brain around it a little more? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, let's do that. And then I'll even go one step further. We'll talk about this idea that I'm talking about, which is this value thing. Um, so I had a client who was uh, a, an investment banker, and she wanted to become a feng shui expert. So she moved to the mountains, quit her job. She was an executive on the rise, so was starting a whole new thing. And she's an investment banker. You know, it's not like they don't make any money. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, she's in the mountains. She's trying to do this feng shui thing, and she's benchmarking her price to what everybody's telling her to charge. See? For her. It's this benchmarking thing is literally like the disease, right? So... Um, so we took her out of that conversation and said, well, what if you just sort of put that aside for a minute and just tell me how you've helped a friend that, uh, that has nothing to do with the products you're selling or anything like that. So we, we dove into it. We came up with a story of a friend she'd helped. They were trying to sell their home. The husband had got a job clear across the country. They couldn't sell their home. They were trying to sell it under market. Year and a half, the whole family was fractured. It was very stressful. She went in there for four days and she cleared the house. They sold it over market in a week and a half. So then, so, you, so the question is, what was the value to them? 
versus like, you know, what should you charge in a course based on what everybody's telling you? Very, very different conversation. So it doesn't only have an impact in terms of like, you know, the, the, the actual numbers you put on a sales page or right. you tell people, it actually has a real impact on the way you stand in that value of what you offer and like what value you offer to people. So did she undercharge on that particular instance or you got to her before she no, worked that, with them? Well, I think she may have. Like in that particular instance, it was a friend. But yeah. for the purposes of what we were talking about, it served the purpose. So we, we took that, we created a price point, and we did a quick and dirty little launch with a list of 100. And she, she raised uh, $5,100 on that small little launch with just like a friends and family launch. Nice. Right. So it's, that's kind of like the way that can work. You just have to sort of believe in your value, stand in your value. So it's twofold. She's yeah. standing in her own value. Yes. But then she's standing in the feng shui value. True. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah, I didn't even think about that. So yeah. that's a double down. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and yeah. that, that's yeah. an anti up because yeah. she's selling hope. And Claire, I'm, I've known feng shui pretty well. For sure. And she's selling a promise in a way. Yeah. You know? So very cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. I love your business model. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> so in the offer, right. what would be something she would put into that package. Okay. Not just going to the home and doing the work. Right. But maybe, I got nothing, a book. That's <laughs> that's not a high ticket item. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, um, so th- this brings me to another of the eight steps uh, in an offer, which is how are you unique? Like what's your special twist on the world and what you offer? So in my world, there's sort of five things that you need to determine. Uh, but the way most people approach it is like, how do I stack things into the offer to make it seem more valuable, right? Like that's right, what we're bonuses. talking about. Yes. But the way I think about that question is like, how am I different? How am I unique? Um, so the way people tend to evaluate people they want to work with, uh, again, there's five things. There is um, what is their unique system? Uh, what is their personal journey? What is a transformation? Um, uh, do I relate to them as an avatar, like as a person with a certain persona that connects with them? And then the other thing, and this is why TED Talk's really important, is like, do you have a provocative premise that really gets me stoked and interested in what you're talking about? So what I do when I dive into how you're unique is I dive into those, those five areas. Then we circle back and say, okay, so what kind of um, media or asset gets created? So like we're talking about podcasts here today. For some people, that's going to be the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like for other people, it's going to be a summit. For other people, it's going to be a live event. You know? And you know what? For her, she could have done like YouTube. Like I know. teaching uh, feng shui on YouTube, walking around her house. Look, at, yeah. I got to cure this section. Why am I walking into a table when I first come in the front door? Yeah. Stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, last time I saw Leanne, she was blogging in Paris. So it really transformed oh, wow. the business, right? <laughs> so, wow. Um, it did not transform my house, though. It is not particularly feng shui compliant. But <laughs> that's awesome. So in that transformational world for you to make a good living, you sure. definitely have to help these people be successful so you can charge the fees that you want to make. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an important part. Like if you want to make an impact in the world, uh, this is an important conversation to have. Um, you know, I'm, I, when I when I do coaching, I've got a very, uh, I guess I call it kind of Ericksonian solution-focused model. I believe that people have the answers within. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, in the same context, like I, I provide like a system for people to go through. There's deliverables at every step. Um, 
But you know, an important part of that is you get to the point where if you're making an offer, you you have to ask you know for the sale. I have this kind of fun story. Um, I have two kids now; they're in their twenties, twenty five, twenty three, and um, I was at a Vancouver Canucks hockey practice. I got a ticket to one of their practices. They play in the National Hockey League professional oh, okay. hockey team. And my son um, really wanted, this is when he was younger, he really wanted some, uh, you know, he wanted this, the, he had a Sharpie, he wanted the team. And so we were sitting there at, as the practice ended and the players were coming off the ice. He wanted an autograph or something? And we wanted all, he wanted them all over his, his jersey. Oh, cool. And so it was this lesson in life for him where they started coming off. They're all really polite guys. They're so nice, all very Canadian, you know, very nice. How are you doing? And they were like, deep voices, how are you doing? How are you doing, guys? How are you doing? And then I, I started to panic as the dad. I was like, crap, you know, he's not going to get any signatures. So I'm like, you have to ask for the sale or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. so he did. And we've still got that shirt. It's kind of framed now. It's got all the signatures of all the players. And it's kind of time stamped because that was a while ago. And it's kind of fun. But it's the same as all of us. You know, it's, at some point, if you're going to make the impact, you got to make an offer. And that has to connect with people emotionally as well. Can you give an example of some offers that you've helped create? Like, Sure. If it's a signature program that they can put the person through or what types of things are offers? Sure. Because uh, it's a newer phrasing, isn't it? I think it I depends mean, on the world that you come from. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm asking for the sale versus putting forth an offer, and I think it depends on the industry. Yeah. And, you're, oh, and Steve, I was, who I was referring to, right. Steve Olsher, uh, at the last summit uh, just very recently, said start with your offer first and your big ticket offer, mm-hmm. right. right? And then you can funnel, build the funnel from there kind of backwards. Right. So, yeah. uh, Well, that's a good point. Like I think that, you know, the online, for, for service providers, the online market is really transforming. So my take on what you're saying is that what tends to happen to people, because like I'm kind of a good example of that. I, I was a consultant, you know, I came into online marketing and, um, I'm very digital savvy. I was running multi-million dollar digital projects. Like, so I've been in the startup world. I'm not like a novice, but uh, learning how to, as a service provider, market yourself online, it's, it's not, it's, it's challenging. You know, there's, there's a lot of different people telling you a lot of different things. So um, what I find is that people either go to marketing tactics or they go to product creation. So an example of that would be, I'm going to run a five day challenge to see if I can get a bunch of clients but they don't have an offer, like they have nothing to offer mm-hmm. them. So they, they might get a bunch of people interested, but then the question is, well, what are we buying? And they don't know. On the other hand, they might spend a year and a half building a product, you know, an online course or mm-hmm. some core. Yeah, that's, and, that's and, me. And, and, and then, <laughs> but then uh, there's no marketing associated with it or th- there's no offer create, like what is the offer? Like what does it cost, for example? Um, what is the model? Like in the startup world, you have this expression, the model is a message or the message is the model. So what is the model? Like, how are you taking me from A to Z? What is the transformation? So an example would be, man, uh, well, uh, my copywriter, Rob, um, is an actor, wanted to create an online program. Um, and so we created this thing, which for him is a side hustle. It's called the authentic voice formula. Uh, and that was a way for him to generate extra income as a trained copywriter as he was also doing his acting stuff. And so um, we put together that in short order. In his case, it was, um, uh, you know, like a fairly simple offer. But, you know, going through exactly what I'm talking about, like how are you unique, um, 
you know, what, what is the value, uh, like what is your value, what is the value to others, and all the other eight steps. Um, so that was fun. So he, he made some money from that, and it's a cool side project for him. Okay, so I want to backtrack because I, I think I may have pushed us faster than I wrote down unique system, personal journey, transformation, avatar, provocative premise. Yes. Um, are, is that one of the eight or I know. are there seven more? Yeah, so, so those five parts are part of how you're unique. So okay. how you're unique is one of eight. I know I'm, I'm turning everybody. It, there's too much math today. Sorry. That's, <laughs> it's a no, lot it's, of numbers. And, you know, it's, it's Mary math. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, do you want to just, You, I think you briefly mentioned a few of the other eight. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, like if you're, uh, another one would be how are you going to participate in the market? How are, you, how are you going to put together a plan and, how are you going to enter the marketplace? Are you going to be a course creator? Are you going to be a, a coach? Um, what, attach some numbers to that. What is your plan? Um, having numbers attached to that is really powerful because it, it sets it in your mind, like what you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, if, you're, if your price point on your services is uh, like $1,000 a month, roll the numbers and see what kind of, you know, what you want to do, where you want to land. Attach that to some of your planning, how you're going to do. Um, so that's really powerful. So I do that with clients. We, we figure out how they're going to participate in the market. Um, big part of that is how you describe yourself. So are you a big, um, I'm going through this right now with a client where you're trying to describe the project. Is it a, um, an intentional eco center? Is it a retreat center? What is it? You know, because you, you want to describe that so that people understand it. That's where so many people get hung up. Right, right. So, so um, and actually those eight steps to creating a really good offer are part of a book that I'm doing. It's coming out in 2020 called Eight Digital Dragons. And so what I do is I connect those um, ideas to kind of things that stop us in our tracks and how you can overcome them and how you can turn them into really good dragons uh, and uh, expand your business and slay resistance. So that's oh. coming out next year, yeah. So going back to this industry, the transformation sure. industry, um, how well are people able to go through the steps without fear coming in? And one question I was going to ask is when you're doing the financial model around, right. do they undershoot or overshoot on their target money? Hmm, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I think the goal of that whole process is to get real with yourself about what you need. Uh, so like for me, I, I try to keep people real. You know, um, actually, the way I think about it uh, is um, there's this metaphor. It, I didn't invent it. It's kind of on, on the interwebs. We'll let you take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, a lot of people, when they're starting a business, when they're getting started, they want to create the car. Like they want to create the big car. So that hangs them up because they may not know how to create the whole car. Or they might create like a wheel, but that's mm -hmm. not a complete experience. So nobody can't, can't really sell a wheel. Um, so what I counsel people to do is start with, um, like the sequencing is like create your skateboard, create a scooter, create a motorcycle, create the car. Start with the, sco start with the skateboard. And that sort of, you know, that means what you're building, uh, your marketing system, uh, how you think about it. Uh, it keeps um, your expectations aligned with a plan that is, um, that's going to work for you. So, yeah, that's kind of the way we approach that. 
Very it's cool. a good way to look at it. Yeah. I think so. But uh, like you brought up a topic, like I wouldn't mind talking about resistance because I have this kind of like theory about this and it's kind of the basis for the book coming up. That's Absolutely. Is, is that okay? Well, and resistance yeah. is kind of like self-sabotage or just stuckness. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm sort of new to the online marketing world and I, I would go to events and I'd hear people say resistance all the time. And at first I thought it was kind of a woo word. I come from Alberta and Canada, so I'm, I'm kind of meat and potatoes, but I'm a little woo too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, go both, I go both directions. But uh, so I thought it was, it was a woo word. And then I was like, I hear it all the time. You know, for people like, I want to do this, but I've got this resistance. And so um, my background is also includes um, like my grad degrees in learning science. And so I kind of went deep into that. Like, okay, how does this map out? To what resistance where it comes from and so I have a whole theory about where that comes from which is and <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> I have my pencil ready we talk about we're inviting yeah. you to share that with us <laughs> thank you, <laughs> you <have permission laughs> well like so I, I um, we it, 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 again my my grad degrees in learning science so we have we've grown up uh, I'm 54 years old oh. and we yeah I know right <laughs> um, and uh so we've grown up in this system of education mm -hmm. that, uh, especially for our age group, where there's these things that we're taught. We're taught, taught to fear mistakes, uh, memorize, consume information as a way of figuring, getting smarter, and chasing abstract goals, like an A+. So if you think about entrepreneurs who are not used to being an entrepreneur and they're stepping into this realm, those mental scripts just play out over and over and over Subconsciously. again. Subconsciously. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. So um, that's where resistance, that's my point of view, where resistance comes from. So part of what I do is I try to sort of reset those scripts. Um, and what's really interesting about that is that if you think of the world we live in now as a digital uh, networked realm, we actually grew up in a very linear system. Education is very linear, at least the way it was taught. But if you go back before that to learning by doing, which is what people used to do, mm -hmm. and you overlay that on top of the digital world, it really works. It really works. So what that looks like is you spend more time practice, practicing instead of being perfect. You, um, instead of um, memorizing things, you access your creativity. That's where people are having success, these influencers are being super creative. Um, instead of information, you go and you access mentors, you get help. You talk to people who have been there, which is what they used to do. And then finally, the goals were very concrete, hunt food, <laughs> right. right? And instead of like chase and ace. So it's very interesting if you dive into learning and how we've been kind of conditioned and how you can reframe that. It's, it's part of what I teach in this program, the programs that I teach, so. How long are your programs? Uh, I have both a four-month mentorship, and then I do a, a year-long, uh, you know, it's kind of an intensive mastermind that I, I run. Nice. Yeah. It's very simple. Any other of, I mean, resistance is big. <coughs> what are the other elements of it? Or are you just giving up all your good info? I'm giving it all <laughs> up. But, we want all the secrets. Yeah. But, well, here's the thing. We would need you to help bring it alive in a practical manner for sure you know what I mean like yeah I like like it to me this is sort of you know like I teach it what I do but it's an interesting topic too like I think it's kind of a hidden topic 
that people don't really talk about too much. So that's something I'm percolating on what to do with. Um, you know, it connects to my personal story too. Like, I think we all experience resistance. It's something that you can, it's like a mental muscle um, to think in terms of expansion. And so, you know, just like everybody else, I have to work at it. So, yeah. Well, and it's also probably in our DNA to protect ourselves. Yeah. And if we're fearful of something we are not familiar with or... Right. Mm-hmm. That resistance, hey, I got you. I'm not going to let you do that. Yeah. Yeah, like, like Kelly and, uh, Kelly, uh, and I have a, a bit of hockey banter back and forth. So her St. Louis Blue Blues, should be fearful yeah. of my Vancouver Canucks, for example. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> I'm resisting what you're telling me right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> You've um, also had to overcome other things in in your life too, as far right. as uh, some different biases. And you want to expand on that a little? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah. So I had a yeah, and I appreciate you asking that because it's something that's kind of it's 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 really important to me. Um, you know, sometimes your uh, things in life. Have a, have, a, have a high meaning to you, and, but you just kind of, you're coasting along and then suddenly something happens and then you're like, wow, this is really important to me. And suddenly a lot of the things that you've been doing become clear, you know? So, so for me, like I'm, uh, I'm one of many uh, gay parents in the world mm-hmm. and um, I have a, an amazing relationship with my kids. They've and, and their mother and her husband and her family and her friends and all these. So, um, what is it, about 20 years ago, um, I had the difficult conversation with, uh, with the kid's mom and we, we, we built a very strong co-parenting relationship. Um, and I thought that it was all good. Like I said, I had a very good, still do, relationship with her family, her friends, my family, our friends, everybody. Um, I live in Canada, so we've had um, uh, same-sex marriage for over a decade now. Uh, something I'm really proud of. And, um, but what happened to me in my career, I, I took a job at one point mm-hmm. and um, something kind of hit me that I didn't expect. In fact, it wasn't until recently that I kind of understood it. And that is this idea of bias. And so what's become really important to me is in the entrepreneur space to talk more about the realm of diversity and inclusion. What I learned is that I actually draw strength from my, what I call, I guess, my modern family. Um, whereas before, it wasn't like I was hiding it, but I wasn't talking about it because I was like, it's no big deal. Um, I was past it all and I was just carrying on with my life. What happened several years ago is I was in a, an executive job and um, I had an environment where people would, uh, one particular individual would make fun of gay people in our community, in the cultural community. And I wasn't out within my workspace. So what happened is at some point, uh, there was a change in the executive. And what that occurred to me as was a kind of bias that felt like constructive dismissal. And so what ended up happening to me is I suffered a series of panic attacks out of the blue and didn't expect it. It was very strange. So I thought I was very cool, like I was good, everything was fine, but this kind of hit me like a baseball bat. And so after that, for about 10 years, you know, before that, I was, I was, I was really on, on, a, on a trajectory, a rise. Uh, and after that, I found that I just had a roller coaster up and down experience. So it was more recently that I had to sort out, like, how did that impact my life? How is it creating resistance for me? And what kind of things do I need to do to overcome it? 
Um, and I guess the final point on that is like I, um, you know, it, it's 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 an important thing to me that uh, this idea of diversity and inclusion and. And I think you'll probably see more of me talking about it as I go forward, mm -hmm. as I process like how I want to communicate that message and what kind of results do I want to achieve within the entrepreneurship community. Um, the or one you kind of have a, a yeah. an aha moment or, or at an outing, outing moment <laughs> at, the, uh, yes. at the New Media Summit. Well, it's kind of like now, like a, this is kind of a bit of a rambling answer to your question. So it was similar. I've been on the plane and I was thinking about talking about this stuff and uh, um, but I wasn't certain, like I was mm -hmm. still uncertain. So um, I actually had a different speech. We had a, like a two minute moment where we were gonna give a speech at the New Media Summit. Mm -hmm. I had a totally different speech and um, a woman at my table, Sue Prive, um, really oops, touched the cord again, said, yeah, it's, it's okay, it's good. You know, be a bit more authentic. And I was like, okay, well, let's try this out. So I got up and made this presentation, but it didn't, like I hadn't rehearsed it. So it was kind of, and the, and the sound wasn't working at the time. Mm -hmm. So I had to repeat it. So it was very interesting because I got a standing ovation, which I did not expect. Uh, so for me, that was a bit of a moment where I was like, hmm, you know, there's something I've got to embrace around this and start talking more about it. So the way I think so about it. So expand a little bit on exactly what that was. Uh, yeah. Okay. I remember you on stage. Do you? Thank you. I think I was on stage as well when you went up. Yeah, I think you were. I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think you were. Um, yeah, well, what, ha what happened after that is somebody came up to me and said, and, and they were being actually very well-intentioned. You know, they, were, they mm -hmm. just wanted to give me business advice. And they're like, yeah, I'm not sure if what you do in the bedroom should be part of your business message. So I actually thought about that, and and I like I like this person that told but, me that. Good but back guy. up and get yeah. more, you haven't really said like you know in detail what you said in that speech that was really kind of the oh. the moment, what was or, it? or what you what you announced or you bridged the gap I guess between. Oh, more recently, yeah. So yeah. I was gonna okay. So w the way that I think about it is that um, LGBTQ people, mm -hmm. and those letters are changing, by the way, so I may not have that completely right. But, you know, we speak the masculine and the feminine, and there's a lot of polarization in the world today. So I believe that um, people like myself are the bridge to peace. We can talk both languages, and it would be very interesting if people waded out into their community and the people in their realm that they know are gay, um, treat them as such, because really we can. That's the one gift that we bring to the world. We can bridge the masculine and the feminine. Yeah, so anyway, I'm gonna be talking more about that. I think it's a really interesting topic and it's important to me. Cool. Very nice. Very nice. Okay, so how much time do we have? Oh, we've got plenty of time. Let's talk hockey. Talk hockey. <laughs> You guys got something going on with this hockey thing? We were well, they won, they, they won the cup last year, and we're going to win it this year. So I should have worn my shirt for you today. <laughs> I was staying true to the radio show. <laughs> That's so funny. And you, you also have uh, a, a passion around around dogs, and and the adopting, yeah. rescuing dogs. And yeah, exactly. Um, about eight years ago, adopted a American Staffordshire Bull Terrier named Seamus. And so um, I have a diverse business, actually. I've got some other things that I'm involved in. One of them is a local business in Victoria called Men in Kilts. And he is the mascot for that company. Men in Kilts. Yeah, I know. Kind of, That's a whole other show. Yeah. <laughs> my participation in that is limited to being in eight parades a year in Victoria in my kilt. And uh, 
you know, Seamus, co-parenting Seamus, and, um, you know, he's, he's a great pup. The one thing I will say about, he's in the bully breed, uh, and, uh, you know. What's that mean? Uh, Same as Romeo. Pitbull, Pitbull. Pit I have the most wonderful rescue, yeah. Romeo Rex. He is a yeah. lab pit, okay. Rhodesian Ridgeback yeah. mix. They are That's lambs. Cool. All they want to do is cuddle you. Yes. You know, and, and so what's great about Seamus being in eight parades a year, Victoria's, Greater Victoria, where I live in Canada, British Columbia, it's on an island. It's like this, it's, it's a mid-sized city, I guess. Um, he's a celebrity because oh, really? all the parades get covered by local media. Every year they're looking out for him. You know, he's going and kissing kids along the parade route. Mm-hmm. So, so he, he changes attitudes one doggy kiss at a time. Yeah, that's and, like uh, Romeo. Yeah, he's, it's just, they're, yeah. they're just the best dogs ever. Land seals. <laughs> My last two dogs have been, been pit, pit and boxer. Yeah. And, uh, well, we still don't know what Thor is. They say he's a pocket pity, whatever the heck that is. Oh, cute. He's just, he's a... He's a bull in a china shop is what I call him. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are but they're strong. all rescued. Yeah, yeah, very much so. We got so lucky with Romeo. He's such a good dog. He is. He's very mellow. He's very chill. Yeah. Because he's they're, the same age as Thor, and it's... Oh, yeah, you told me. so different. They're lovely. So different. Yeah. Seamus is a cool dog. I, I love Seamus from Facebook. I've never met him. He's got his own page, too. But uh, Romeo has his yeah. own Instagram. Oh, cool. Um, I guess Thor's sloughing. <laughs> you of all people, I your know. dog should have its own page. Uh, Seamus is actually from around here. He came from San Bernardino. And so it's interesting. Oh. In Victoria, there's these rescue organizations. Uh, uh, he came from one called Re- uh, Flirting with Fido. And they, um, they have these contacts down the States to high-kill shelter areas, and they just bring a lot of these rescue dogs up to Canada, which is interesting. And we have a, a different system, and they all, get, they all get adopted out. It's fantastic. So, yeah. Anyway, Seamus is a adopt, don't shop. Hashtag, yes. Hashtag adopt, don't shop. Yeah. Yeah. A little plug totally. for that. <laughs> so you, you alluded to a little bit of a reinvention, but to stay true to the theme of the show. For sure. Um. It's interesting, you know, being our age, yeah. I've been an entrepreneur since, oh gosh, 21, I started being an entrepreneur. And it was tough because there was no social media. Anything we did, there, there really wasn't emails back then. There was nothing. We had nothing. He had a horse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and no buggy. <laughs> and I walked uphill to school and uphill back home in the snow. 15 miles in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, so you, I, I did work on Wall Street for nine right. years. Right. And then I became a, but you're an entrepreneur. Sure. Because it's pure commission. Right. You know, you have to kill what you want to eat for the month. Sure. So I got that mentality. Mm-hmm. What do I need 30 days? At the end of 30 days, how much money do I need? And back then, well, still is today, Monday through Friday. Right. Now it's 24-7. We can be earning money online, doing whatever we're doing. So with your experience being in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. More the startup world. But startup yeah. world. Yeah. That to me, were you a salaried employee? person there or no i was a founder i i, I had a few oh, so successful was, founded companies yeah wow okay so, so you're strongly entrepreneurial as well yeah so i mean like 
I'm by nature a really shy guy. So that whole ex experience of creating startups for me was uh, challenging because like, I, I go to Wallflower super easy. You know, like I go to Wallflower mm -hmm. super easy. But um, that the getting into the startup world, like I just, I learned as I went. Um, one of the startups uh, won the Canadian Financing Forum in front of like 300 venture capitalists. We had to make a presentation. That, that's the basis of the program that I still teach. Um, but how so, did you come up with this idea to do startups? Okay. Uh, well, at, at, so I was, um, I, I had a contract which looked outwardly like a job. So I was running um, several uh, hospital foundations as, as what was called the chief development officer. And so I had a lot of exposure to the healthcare system and I started that right in my mid-20s, right out of college. And we were having a lot of success with our campaigns um, and it was during the dot-com time. And oh, okay. I got really jealous. I was living in a really cool area called Nelson, BC, Canada, which was a beautiful, beautiful, it's like Berkeley in the mountains. Okay. And um, so I, was ha I had a great life, I had a great job, um, but I was hungry, like I was really itchy. Uh, and I saw my friends getting involved in the dot-coms. So brilliant Duff, I started, I, my first startup came at, at the edge, the bad edge of the dot-coms okay. time. So I had to go through trying to raise money uh, and start that company while things were going down, um, which was difficult in itself. Um, had to fight all my internal resistance, you know? Uh, so it was a great experience, and I kind of rode that for a while, um, and, and that's where I played for the first part of my career. And then what I said earlier kind of happened, and it kind of put me on my heels for a while. But, hmm. um, yeah, so now it's kind of more about just sort of, you know, like it's something that I think we all, if we're not... Um, if we're not, like, I'm not a shark. I'm just not by nature a shark kind of a business person. So if we're kind of more of a dolphin kind of a person, it's something that we struggle with. It's just standing in your value, putting yourself out there, getting the job done. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I do today. That's what I help people with. So was this program mm -hmm. or process that you've created, yeah. you lived it first and realized it? I had to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean... Uh, that takes a lot of self-awareness and discipline to really stick with it. I don't know what it was back then. Like I was, I I'm 29 and a half and three quarters and five eighths now. So it was, you know, a few, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, <laughs> when I was younger, it was just kind of like, I don't know, like I, I think that I just stepped into it and I wanted to do it. There was a creativity to it, I think. Um, you know, I thought nothing of marching up to the vice president of research and motion at the time and saying, we should talk to us. And we became their first or one of their first alliance partners when, when Blackberries were the thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I just, I think, I don't know why, but um, yeah, back then it was just fun. It was interesting. And I was motivated to step into something new and different and bring it to life. And uh, so I, I still, I, that ethos now, I just bring it into people who run their independent service-based businesses. I try to bring that same ethos. Hmm. Very cool. So what was the first startup that you did? Uh, it was called CareWave. We changed our name to Carevoyance. So it, what it was is a, um, it was an app to uh, improve clinical trials. At the time, uh, people running clinical trials, whether that was biotechnology, pharmaceuticals, or something called a contract research organization, uh, they had this thing called white coat compliance. So they're very concerned about the data of people in trials, you know, because mm -hmm. people would go into a clinical research office 
you know, at the end of a month and hand in these paper reports that they would fill out in the office. So the data was very poor. Mm. And you can imagine the stakes were high because they'd spent, you know, a gazillions of dollars to develop this drug, yet it was always at risk because of poor data. Right. And they called that white coat compliance. So we came in and we created a mobile-based solution to better in real time manage clinical trials, some of the issues associated with that. Um, and that was super fun. And I, at the time, I was, like I was chief development officer, so I was in charge for philanthropy for these healthcare organizations. So I didn't know anything about technology. Um, I, I mean, I knew about business kind of, but I didn't have an MBA or anything. So, I mean, I really had to learn on the go. Hmm. Really so did. did you sell that company or did you, did it just go away or? Well, as a lot of startups, you know, like not every startup has the perfect ending. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that works. <laughs> but, but I mean, this ties back to my story because like what, uh, what happened to that company is um, we were in the middle of raising a round and I went into the office, back to the office and, you know, I kind of got blindsided. My partners had decided that they wanted to move the company in a different direction. So, you know, that just became a thing, and we, we spent eight months trying to figure that out. Uh, so I learned in that how to deal with even those kinds of what people might call a failure mm-hmm. um, or an obstacle, uh, and you know that's something I bring to my new projects as well. Uh, when I told you about the panic attacks, I think that was why it hit me so hard, because I was used to overcoming really profound challenges in business. So the idea that I was sort of being constructively dismissed was completely foreign to me. That's why I think it hit me so hard. But, yeah. Hmm. So, two things. Yeah. One, would you mind describing what your panic attack looked like? Oh, yeah, sure. That would be interesting because I think... Yeah, a lot of people don't know how to recognize it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, you know, I never thought about that. Because they, there's, a difference, there's a difference between being scared... Mm-hmm. and having one of these things uh, because I wasn't scared. Like, I didn't have any fear. It was weird. So I'm sitting in a meeting with um, someone, some guy called the Premier's Technology Council lead, um, the CEO for Electronic Arts, and a few other folks. And we're just having a conversation, and all of a sudden it felt like I was having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And I, I, somebody asked me a question, what do you think about s- such and such? happened to be the, the fellow that tended to say disparaging comments about certain members of the gay community in, in, the, in the community. And just all of a sudden my heart started being like a heart attack. So it just came out of the blue. So what that manifested for me as within a short period of my life was fear of speaking because I, was, I couldn't get the words out. Hmm. So I was like, uh, uh. <laughs> it was like, the worst. Actually, what I did like is... Like me when I get on stage. Exactly. I was, <laughs> You're getting so I, good now, I wasn't going to say that, but yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Thanks, <Tom. Yeah. laughs> And uh, And, um, but it, like, actually what I did is I went into, uh, I went into the washroom in the office there and I, I called the kid's mother and I was like, I don't know what the hell's happening to me. I didn't know what it was. And um, yeah, so it, it's weird. But I had three of them that year. I left that position. I haven't had one since, but the lingering effect of that was that I turned it into something completely different. And that kind of was at the root of probably why I was more uneven with my career for, for a while after mm. that. Recalibrating in a way. I think so. And you know what Kelly sort of was talking about that event where, where you were on stage, I think it was almost like you say, it was like almost like a poof, you know, like uh, cardiac arrest machines mm-hmm. on me. It was kind of like. The AED they, yeah. came to save the it day. It powered me up, yeah. Um, so, Mentioning the event, let's 
do a little recap on the new media summit. This sure. we, how many did you go to, already? Uh, well, what four? No, I'm not that old, but no, three. Three, three. Okay. three. So <laughs> there have been a total of five. Uh, the first year there were three. Yes. Within the first twelve months, oh, wow. yes. that was drinking from a fire hose. Yes, very much so. <laughs> and I, then I still feel it. Two, so like September's and February, Marchish, right? Mm -hmm. um, what is your experience? How would you describe the New Media Summit? In from even the first one that you attended and the subsequent ones. Oh sure, yeah. Uh, so, you know, like if you play in this transformation space, like I called it, you go to a bunch of events. And so what I love about the New Media Summit is um, you can just tell, right? Like you can tell when people, when they've really, it's, it's a fun event. They're getting a lot out of it. They're meeting some really interesting people. So there's a certain buzz to it. And I mean that really, like mm -hmm. authentically, there's a buzz to it. Um, people are getting results. They're getting booked on shows. They're meeting people where they're going on other people's shows. Um, so... Yeah, and there's a real diversity of people there that I think there's mm -hmm. people who are interested in podcasts who aren't traditionally what might be thought of as like coaching people or like online course creators. There's like just service providers that are trying to figure out, like I said earlier, how to grow their business. You know, uh, the way Steve talks about, he doesn't use the word platform. I think he says find your lane. I think of it as like a platform, build your platform. Um, you know, podcasting is a vehicle to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so it was good. I mean, like, I, what I love about podcasting, just the idea of it, is that uh, it's representative of, I think, the way that people have to be in this world now. If you're going to be a service provider and grow your business, you need, it, it, it's, it's like push versus pull. So if you're doing a podcast, like we are today, we're having a conversation, it's interesting. Some people might find interest in certain parts of it. Um, you know, like that, it, that's the energy of it rather than like, hey, you know, buy these Jinsu knives. You know, it's, it's yeah. a completely different energy. Okay, so just so if anyone is not familiar with us talking about the New Media Summit, Steve hosts this event. Kelly pretty much does all the work for the event. Um, it's in San Diego, March 9 to 11, Correct. 2020. And it's for people who want to get booked on other people's podcasts, interested in learning about the podcast movement that's going on these days, um, or they want to start their own podcast. And the, one of the fun things for me to observe over these five times that I've been there, how many people walk in and the first day you meet them, um, do you have your own podcast? No. Oh, well, what do you do? I do blah, blah, blah. Oh, are you going to start a podcast? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> and by the end of the last day, they're like, okay, my podcast name is going to be, and they just jump on it. Yeah. And it's so exciting. And here's the other thing I noticed about it is that it does, you don't know who's in the room. Nope. Or you who can, they know. Or who they know. You can have amazing people that just kind of are walking around and then you have a moment at lunch to sit down and talk with them. And you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so we're 40 icons of podcasting and then there's 150 attendees. And, and, the, and the live stream, too. So there's and then there's the stream. live stream, right? Yeah. But we're all equal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like... There's no VIP. There is, there is nothing VIP-ish about it at all. Even from Steve. I mean, he's, this is his jam. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't go hide behind a door after he gets off stage and he's 
interacting with people, just like all the icons. And, and dancing. Rubbing elbows, breaking bread, and, yep, and doing it all. It's just, a, it's just a great event. And the information is really awesome. The networking's off the rails, mm-hmm. don't you think? Mm-hmm. Did you start your podcast after you attended one, or did you have a podcast before you went to the first New Media Summit? Uh, my podcast is called Off My Duff, the Entrepreneur Podcast. So that. it answers the age-old question, how do I get off my rear end and get this thing started? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So um, so that the, the, my, my first episodes are in production now, so mm-hmm. it's a good time to talk about it. Yeah, they're just they're in production now, and so that'll be up on the, the iTunes and the Google Play. And, yeah. Very so good. So how, inter- how many shows have you gotten booked on over the, the three that you've been on mm-hmm. or been right. to? Uh, a lot, actually. I, I'm still following up, you know, so... Um, about 60 confirmed so far for sure. Nice. Amongst the three. Um, the uh, three. Yeah, so um, really, really good, solid, um, like this. Uh, and then probably another 100 uh, interviews with people who are just starting their podcast as well. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing swaps. So, you know, in some awesome. cases it really makes sense because, um, you know, we, we, we talk common language. We have a thread of common interest. So it's fun. Yeah, yeah, great connections. Well, so happy to have you in studio with us. It's always much better in studio than it is on the phone. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's just a little more relaxed, and I can see your eyes and yeah, facial I, expressions. and it's. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? Sure. Uh, well, uh, the Impact Scorecard, which we talked about at the, at the front of the show, is, is, uh, is available right now. So you can go to the Impact Scorecard. Dot com. Okay, terrific. Or my website, which is Duff Gardner, D-U-F-F, Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R.com. Terrific. Awesome. Okay, well, thanks, you guys, so much. And so happy to have Kelly in town as well. What a blessing. And for Steve Olsher, Richard Ote, Wade in the control booth, and Kelly Felker, badass. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.